today on Ag News Daily. Generally, there's really not much to be said as far as a shift in acreage, right? I mean, you know, when we get really far behind, that's when we start worrying about losing corn acres and, and gaining beating. May Day, listeners. May 1st, 2023. Tanner and Delaney here to bring you the beginning of another great week of ag news and stories. Delaney, did you get my May Day basket this morning? Oh, you must have gotten the wrong address, Tanner. I must have gotten lost in the mail. Uh, no, certainly it was there. Probably blew away if that's the case. But uh, That's true. I just want to let you know that I didn't forget about you. Okay. Well, I guess I'll be waiting. Waiting eagerly by my door. I'm not going to give you a second one. If you didn't get to the first one in time, that's on you. I think you're lying to me. <laughs> I would not do that with my out my fingers crossed, but uh, it's still good to let you know that you were at least thought about. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yes, today is May Day. We kick off, uh, hard to believe we kick off the month of May, which is going to be heavy planting season for farmers, Tanner. And this week in particular, actually thinking about farmers in the field, uh, because we are focused on mental health this week. That is, it is officially mental health awareness week, the first through the 7th of May. So thinking of all those folks in the field, usually though, during planting season, I feel like as long as things are going well, farmers are typically in good moods during planting season. There's at least pleasant distractions that uh, can help yes. take their mind off other things. That's correct. Absolutely, Tanner. Yeah, so not a lot of weather to start off the day. Uh, we're going to be dry here. A lot of planters will be rolling over the next couple of days here in the upper Midwest. Uh, still seeing some low humidity, so obviously areas that are dry and have been could have sustained fire warnings. Still really breezy. That'll happen for the next 24 to 48 hours. Of course, our friends in the Southern Plains are having some isolated thunderstorms, getting continued much needed rain. We're talking Oklahoma, Texas panhandles, uh, and the rain is not coming in the form of a severe storm. So nice and steady that way. It looks like there might be additional rain in the forecast Tuesday and Thursday this week, but ultimately a little bit of a pleasant break in the weather. Hopefully we can warm up a little bit here in Iowa too. And we certainly could use that. So Hopefully we see more planters rolling this week, Tanner, but today's crop progress reports will be out after we finalize the podcast. So we'll be sure to share those updates with our listeners tomorrow. But one thing also coming out later this week, Tanner, is the expectation of the Fed to raise interest rates one more time. They meet on Wednesday and we're expecting to see Fed fund rates be between 5 and 5.25%. This is allegedly the last time this year that they are going to raise interest rates before we start to think, see things come back down the other way, or at least hold steady for the next few months of 2023. But last week, we got U.S. GDP data for quarter one of 2023, and it came in at only 1.1% versus the expectation of 2% as we're seeing businesses reducing inventory, issuing layoffs, and spending a lot less on capital investments. We also saw core CPI come in at 4.9%, which was also higher than what analysts were expecting. They were hoping for a 4.7%. So all these indicators are going to be things that the Fed is weighing later this week as they make those announcements about 
what they're going to do with interest rates this time, but also indications of what's going to happen here for the months ahead, Tanner. Yeah, and now there's some new news this morning about what may potentially stifle, stifle this last Fed rate hike. And as the announcement of J.P. Morgan Chase buying First Republic Bank, mm-hmm. this is now the nation's second largest bank failure ever in a deal announced this morning. But what does that mean, Delaney? So there's still very little details coming out of this because J.P. Morgan Chase is not buying all of the assets and it is under terms that have been undisclosed. So far, all we know is a $10.6 billion payment is going to be made to the FDIC. In return, they will get $25 billion in funding that other banks have deposited within First Republic since March. This is a lifeline that was negotiated by the Treasury, so the details are still remaining very closely held as of the time that we record this. So it'll be interesting to see here Of course, First Republic customers are worried. Uh, President Biden has made a public address already stating that they have no reason to be worried. States here also that he has called upon Congress to hold banks accountable and to take a look at monitoring their uh, financials in a much more close fashion. So we'll continue to watch this. It's interesting, Delaney, because this bank was not allowed to fail. The Treasury Department negotiated this deal before anything had happened. So to call it a bank failure versus a bank acquisition is quite an interesting headline. But that's something, too, that we're going to see the Fed take a look at as they monitor the strength of the banking sector, where headlines came out just last week, we reported things were much stronger. So it's a little bit of a surprise to some today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that story. I read it this morning when I was running on the treadmill and Glad you mentioned that that news. But another thing that we're going to be monitoring here, river levels on the Mississippi River as we're continuing to wait for it to potentially crest and for barge traffic to reopen. The river in St. Paul, folks are saying, crested on April 27th officially at 18.24 feet. And then so was seen starting to fall on April 30th. So that is positive news. However, it's forecasted that barge traffic is not going to be starting here anytime soon, Tanner. We also saw the National Weather Service in the Twin Cities continues to issue flood warnings for the Minnesota River at Savage, which meets the Mississippi upriver from downtown St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, Driving through Missouri last week back home into Iowa, I was in St. Louis, and it's interesting too, Every time you pick a route on the GPS, it gives you a little signal saying there may be flash flooding in this area. So quite a large swath of the Midwest is going to be experiencing some form of flooding here. But when will barges reopen? That's kind of the million dollar question right now, Tanner. Yeah, it looks like some of the forecasting is coming out that at least locks one through 10 will be closed through the 4th of May. And then locks 11 through 18 have no forecasted reopen date. So that puts uh, one through 10 gets you to Davenport and Rock Island area is where lock 15 is. And it's nearing the flood record stage there of 22.7 due to that news that you shared about the river cresting in St. Paul. They don't expect it to get there, but it'll get within a foot on May 2nd. And we'll see, they hope to see flood levels start decreasing by May 8th. So we're not, like I said, we don't have a clear picture yet as to when barges will go all the way through. 
but I think everything is starting to literally move downstream. But just want to hit a quick update here on uh, cattle futures. Hopefully we get a little bit more insight on today's market conversation, but estimated weekly slaughter was 62 or 60, 620,000 head. That was down 27,000 head from last year. That's 3.2% decrease. The feeder cattle trade was higher. The margins were two to $5 higher. Calves steadily were up $8 per hundred weight. As you looked at that, of course, the South had a bulk of the trading in the range of 173 to 175. Northern trade was 178 to 180. Uh, obviously, we're looking at continued demand as live cattle futures are about to expire for, or oh, they did, sorry, as we are sitting here on May 1st. Uh, we'll continue to watch and see as uh, we have a potential for what's projected to be Delaney, maybe a 95 cent run up this week, according to some analysts, as far as things are headed there. Packer margins stayed steady. So it'll be interesting to see if those next week when we chat about them have increased due to what the market's telling us. Yeah, absolutely. And there's still a lot of question mark about what the market is telling us of what's going to be coming out of Ukraine. But we got some fresh numbers here today about Ukrainian grain exports for the month of April. They totaled 3.62 million metric tons or roughly half of their capacity that they could typically export in one month, given this time frame. But the market appears not really to be caring about that, Tanner. There's not a lot of headlines uh, that are trading that news, it appears, as we're really probably watching more so the news that's coming out of the Fed later this week. But we also saw fresh news on late Friday afternoon that Ukraine has protested two key allies in the European Union and Poland over restrictions on their grain supplies as Poland, Romania, and a few other countries are trying to limit the grain coming out of Ukraine's borders on that Western side. Ukraine's foreign ministry said on Saturday, it had sent notes to the Polish embassy and EU representatives in the office of Kiev on Friday, expressing disappointment with the situation and saying restrictions on their grain exports via the European trade bloc were, quote, categorically unacceptable. The European Commission on Friday responded to that and said that they had reached a deal in principle to allow the transit of Ukrainian grain to resume through the five EU countries that had previously imposed restrictions. So certainly a step in the right direction here. But it appears that the Polish foreign ministry has yet to respond to this, whether or not they're happy with that EU announcement or not is yet to be seen. I'm glad that you got some headlines for us out of that area, uh, much needed and much welcomed. I got myself down a rabbit hole of <laughs> law and lawsuits and legalities in the ag sector. And I'm just going to hit one story here. We've got uh, an organic farmer that had sold more than $46 million worth of crop that were supposed to be organic and were just non-GMO corn and soybeans. The Cottonwood County, Minnesota farmer at the center of this conspiracy had falsely sold that. And then the federal authorities seized his equipment. It was compensated in 2022. James Clayton Wolf was indicted by a grand jury for 
three counts of wire fraud, as well as the alleged conspiracy. He got a release of his equipment to harvest his 2022 crop. But now the reason he's back in the headlines is he has filed for a response in arguing that the court should allow him access to his equipment to plant the crop for 2023 states that it's in the best interest of all parties involved to generate more revenue, especially for taxpayers that will be funding the defense of this case. So right now, all of the equipment is seized by uh, federal authorities and is not at his excess for planting this crop. So he's waiting the injunction uh, to see if they were able to release his equipment for the use of this. Court documents have stated that this was forewarned and that he was supposed to make other arrangements for his crop in 2023. And obviously, defense is stating they don't have a reason to give back his equipment for the growing years, that it is an expense that should be incurred to him and not to taxpayers. So Delaney, quite an interesting case there. That's the most interesting one I came about uh, especially when I started getting way too deep into more WOTUS information. Yeah, we're going to be playing some of that WOTUS information, I think, later this week on the podcast, too, as legislators in D.C. had some good comments to share on that, Tanner, just in a general sense. Um, but thanks for digging into the into the rabbit hole on that one for us. <laughs> yeah, that's all I've got for today, though, so you can finish it off. Well, I think I am out of news as well, aside from chatting markets, which we're going to be coming up on here with Ted Seifert in just a moment. But until that time, let's take a look at where markets closed for today's Monday afternoon trading session. We're certainly seeing some mixed trade here as we close out the first trading day in May. As July corn today closed a half a cent lower at 584 and a quarter, Dece new crop corn down two and a half cents to close at 525 and a quarter. July soybeans today added seven and three quarters cents to close at 1427, while new crop beans added 11 and a quarter cents to close at 1274 and three quarters. Hopping down to take a look at the wheat pits today, the July hard red winter wheat contract closed 18 and a quarter cent lower at 758. And as we check over into the livestock markets here today, uh, the news you shared earlier, Tanner, certainly pushed markets lower as August live cattle shed a dollar twelve and a half to close at a buck sixty two sixty five. Feeder cattle closed sixty two and a half cents lower in the August contract at two thirty ten, and June lean hogs shed two dollars today to close at eighty nine seventy. Tanner, let's kick it over to our Market Monday conversation with Ted Seifred. Well, folks, we are chatting with a very familiar voice here on the podcast, Ted Seifert of the Zaner Group at the Ted Spread on Twitter. Ted, I feel like we need to start with a reflection on last week because we really saw a good slide really across all grain markets. What was going on last week and are we going to see that continued into this week? Uh, well, okay. so last week, I, I think there was a number of reasons why we are we were under quite a bit of pressure. Um, but I think the main one uh, for corn was the Chinese cancellations that we saw. We saw two rounds of Chinese cancellations for some pretty decent amounts. Uh, so that was a bit of a letdown after having, you know, that string of sales that we, we had gotten so excited about. Well, when you start to see them get canceled, you really worry about what they're, what that might mean going forward, right? Because there, 
there was still about uh, 4 million metric tons of corn that had been sold to either China or unknown destinations uh, that had not yet shipped. So there is risk of more cancellations coming down the pipeline. We did not see that Monday morning, so that's good. Um, but then also, you know, you look down at what's going on in Brazil, and they are offering corn and soybeans at much bigger discounts than, than what we are at right now. So unlike this time last year, when Brazil was rather expensive because of the issues that they had with their first season soybean crop, they're trading for much less, and they are going to come in and take the vast majority of the global export market, which means, you know, when you look at where we stand, uh, for corn sales, for bean sales, you know, we still have a ways to go to hit the USDA's targets. And we're starting to wonder if that's going to happen or not. Uh, I think we we went from a couple of weeks ago where we were feeling pretty good about our, ex- our exports because of those Chinese corn sales and because soybean sales had been holding up. Uh, but things have changed quite dramatically in the last couple of weeks. So we're, we're worried about demand. We're worried about uh, potentially more cancellations from China in corn, but also potentially soybeans. Uh, And then, although we do have some cooler temperatures and some rain kind of throughout or here and there, we're also watching planting, you know, ahead of average. And, you know, we don't have any major weather reason to be adding premium to these markets right now uh, for our growing season. Uh, Quick follow-up with you, Ted. On the cancellation that we've seen now, multiple cancellations coming out of China, do we ever really get an indication as to why they're doing that? Or is there anything that you're reading between the lines here that's an indicator of why they decided to do that? Well, you know, the interesting thing about that, Delaney, is that there is a potential and maybe the likelihood for the grain corridor out of Ukraine to sort of fall apart in about 17 days. You would think that China would be afraid of making those cancellations unless they thought that grain corridor were going was going to continue. They're friends with Russia. Maybe they plan on really pressing Russia to, to keep uh, or to stay involved with that. I don't know. That's rather interesting. But you could also say that uh, a fair amount of those purchases that China made could also have been hedges for the second season Brazilian corn crop. That is Brazil's export crop. Um, parts of that crop got planted late into you're pushing it into the time frame of, you know, sort of a hot and dry risk. But as that crop has progressed, it's, well, it looks really good. And a lot of the South American analysts are, are actually adding to their uh, projections for what, what that, that second season crop is going to be. Uh, and maybe that's just enough for China to say, okay, well, we don't need all of those purchases that, purchases that we made. I mean, we, we bought some of that just because, you know, we were hedging our bets. Uh, and so that is the question, really, is, you know, how well is China covered between now and when that second season corn crop is available in Brazil? Uh, and, you know, does the potential for that grain corridor out of the Ukraine falling apart, uh, how does that affect them? So, you know, whether we see more cancellations or not, I don't know. It's a really good question. Uh, it was good that we didn't see any Monday morning, but... I don't know. Uh, The market doesn't seem convinced that we're out of the woods just yet. I appreciate your commentary because, you know, we had reported on 
uh, President Xi having a conversation with both Russia and Ukraine, you know, having access to information on both sides of what's going to be a, a key part of that grain corridor over there, as well as keeping an eye on what's happening in South America. But what does the average planting progress in the U.S. have to say? Is it just a neutral effect or does it mean one way or the other? Are you asking from a yields perspective or are you asking from a just from a market reaction for the short term? Well, you know, I mean, when you are on time or maybe even slightly ahead of uh, planting progress, generally, there's really not much to be said as far as a, a shift in acreage. Right. I mean, you know, when we get really far behind, that's when we, we start worrying about losing corn acres and, and gaining bean acres. Right now, you don't have any reason to to worry about that at the moment. Uh, things are going as planned. Now, I, I do think eventually we will get more more concerned about uh, what happens to acreage in in the Dakotas, um, but it's it's still maybe a little early for that. I do think we're going to see some some prevent plant acres up there, uh, but I don't think it's quite as bad as what we were what our worst fears were a couple weeks ago. Um, and then as far as yields are concerned, you know, I mean, getting planted early as long as we don't have to replant which again that that might be a concern if we get some hard freezes uh but you know early planted crops generally do pretty well right so i think at the moment we're rather optimistic about getting the acreage in we're rather optimistic about what the yield potentials are going to be there's pretty good subsoil moisture in some areas although some people are starting to talk about how i was getting a little bit dry um, and we know the issues with the West, but for the most part, there's just a lack of any real weather issue that is causing uh, a premium to be built into the markets. If anything, we've been taking that away. We started doing that last week. And typically this time of year, you know, May or June, sometimes into July, we typically put in a seasonal high in corn and soybeans. Do you think we're going to follow similar seasonal trends this year? You know, that's a good question, Delaney. I, I think we want to be optimistic that's going to happen, um, you know, because seasonal trends are, are are there for a reason, right? I mean, we, we have a tendency to build a weather premium into the first half of the growing season because at some point we see a forecast that we don't feel terribly comfortable with. But so far, we haven't seen that. And also... You know, when we do that, we're usually coming from much lower prices and there's more, you know, there's more risk with the prices that we are at and have been at. I don't know if we really need to do that or not. So that's a great question. I don't have a good answer for you there. Um, this year could be a lot different than what we've seen in years past because it already is different based on the prices that we're at currently and where we're coming from. Um, and again, the longer term forecasts when you're going from a uh, a La Nina to an El Nino aren't terribly scary, right? I, I think this time last year, we had more reason to worry about what that forecast was going to be and what, what our, our, our prospects were going to be for the growing season. I don't think we have that same concern this year. We also have a much different climate macroeconomically from an inflation standpoint, from a fears of a recession standpoint. Um, and, you know, high prices are the cure for high prices. Uh, demand destruction occurs over time. That has really been kind of the focus of the market recently, rather than what happens if we're a percentage point or two off of trend line yield. Yeah, that's a, it's a good point. And we've 
we've caught a lot of these headlines that are really going to help us kind of keep track of where things are headed. But uh, I was a little caught off guard that wheat slid like it did today. What's the what's the news leading towards prices sliding on wheat? You know, there's there's a bit of rain happening, but I don't know if that really matters or not. Um, you know, rain on dead wheat is the same as no rain on dead wheat. So I don't know. Uh, the thing is, you know, the wheat market's the wheat market, right? And it's been in a, a very steep drought downtrend for a really long time. Funds keep selling, speculators keep selling. There hasn't been anything to change that. And until there is, uh, and I don't know what that would be because, I mean, we've got one of the worst rated wheat crops, winter wheat crops that we've had ever. Um, we continue to, to talk about, you know, whether the grain corridor is going to fall apart. Um, there, there's been a lot of friendly things for wheat that just haven't been able to, to turn the tide. And so I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to change that. Uh, wheat continues to, to make new lows seemingly every day. And today was not any different. But are we going to see anything change? the dynamics here for the cattle complex, because cattle producers, they're making money right now. Lean hog producers, pig producers, not so much. You know, I mean, cattle, we've been excited about the cattle market and cattle market has been a cattle market has been a bull market for quite some time based on the idea that we were going to see supply shrink dramatically between now and basically the end of the calendar year. However, the last cattle on feed report we got showed a lot more placements than what we were expecting. So that was a little bit of a wet blanket on the cattle market. However, domestic demand is really good for cattle. Uh, and I think that continues, especially as we get into grilling season, when the temperatures finally warm up, hopefully soon. Uh, and so I don't see any big reason for the cattle market to break to the downside unless there's a major problem macroeconomically, which at the moment, I don't know. You know, everybody keeps talking about this recession that just, yeah, you can see signs of it in certain places but you know from a from a consumer spending perspective we're still spending money so i I don't know if if that happens or not uh but yeah i mean you know the cattle market has been a good market and and again i don't see an an imposed impending huge drop to the downside in either cash or futures uh sure we can get corrections here and there uh but i still think it's it's there's good fundamentals behind the cattle market right now as far as hogs are concerned well, you know, we're talking about a very similar market as what we have to wheat. You know, you have a, a, a an aggressively short speculator. Uh, speculator. You know, the 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 funds have been selling hogs rather aggressively, uh, and in the last few days, we've had a really nice bounce off of lows in the hogs. But you know, here we are on Monday with a pretty sizable pullback. So, you know, I, I think the hogs are in the process of trying to put in an overall longer term bottom. It might take some time to do that. We might have to see some sideways trade in order to establish this good footing from which to to have a sustained bounce off of. Uh, But I I don't know. I I really don't think we have to see prices in hogs much lower than where they are. I think we've gone past fair value. Uh, Export demand has been kind of coming around. Yeah, last week, the vast majority of our exports were to Mexico. Uh, We would rather see China more involved. Uh, but either way, you know, good numbers are good numbers. So, yeah, no, I, I, I looking at hogs, hopefully putting in a bigger, broader bottoming formation here at this point. So as we look through the rest of the week, what do we miss? What are some headlines we should keep our eye on? Like what sort of news are we going to get that we're not expecting further on down the week? Uh, I, I don't yeah. know. I mean, that's the point of uh, not expecting things is that <laughs> you don't know. 
Uh, something that I'm watching, though, is the river. Um, what happens if we can't get any barges down to the Gulf? Uh, that would have a pretty profound impact on our export market and also bids all along the river. Um, you know, you've got that, that May contract in delivery, so there is some spot month spread happening uh, between the May and the July. That should be somewhat interesting to watch here this week. Uh, we'll be paying more attention or, you know, continuing to, to, to follow the drama uh, of what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and whether the grain corridor is going to shut down or not. But obviously over the weekend, it seems like things have been escalating again. Um, we'll continue to watch weather, you know, crop progress, things like that. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's just, we don't have anything. Uh, um, I, again, I, it's, it's hard to, to, to try to guess what sort of unexpected things might happen. But again, you know, there's, there's enough sort of expected things happening that we'll be watching this week as well. Well, Ted, we certainly appreciate your time hopping on the podcast with us today. If folks want to pick your brain a little bit more about the markets, what's the best place to find you? Yeah, absolutely. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0113. Aside from that, you can find us on the web at www.zaner.com. And as you stated earlier, uh, I am on the Twitters. I'm at the Ted Spread. There you go. Another great market Monday. Delaney, what do you think? I think Ted is always great at getting us good information and in a timely response. I uh, always appreciate his insights on reports and what's going on in the market. So I hope our listeners do too. That's right. Listeners stick with us. We've got a full week of shows for you, but for today, what do you say? Should we let them go? Let's let them go.